So we keep on keeping on. Hey humans, I'm Norma Jean and welcome to Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 35, and today we're talking to Emily McDowell, who's a writer, illustrator, founder of Emily McDowell Studio, and you might have seen her creation, Empathy Cards. She's really an illustration inspiration, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. She shares her journey, a lot of the insight of owning your own business, and being a creative. Super exciting to have her on the show today. As usual, today's show is brought to you by me, Norma Jean, singer, songwriter, daily doodler, creator of Camp Clarity in Bali. And if you like in the show, please check us out on iTunes, write us a review, rate us, do all that good stuff. You can also hear us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts from. And here we go. All right, humans, we are here today with Emily McDowell, writer, illustrator, and founder of Emily McDowell Studio. Welcome to Stay Wild. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Emily, for those of you who are illustration total fans like me, you know, I draw the daily doodles, I draw the cartoons, and I there's a community of illustrators on Instagram, on the internet, in the world that create beautiful, meaningful things that help people connect back to themselves. So Emily is one of those people, and she's here today on Stay Wild. So exciting. Um, she's also the creator of Empathy Cards, which we'll get into in a little bit, which is pretty exciting. But Emily, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll dig into your journey of how you got there. All right. Um, well, I <laughs> so I founded... Emily McDowell Studio back in 2013. And we make greeting cards for the relationships that we really have, um, not the idealized version of relationships that um, we can't really relate to. And uh, we also now make gifts and which are like mugs and tote bags and sticky notes and napkins and like all kinds of things. Um, But we started out as a card company and that is still a really big part of what we do. Um, and I also co-authored a book in 2017 with um, an empathy expert, Dr. Kelsey Crow, and the book is called uh, There is No Good Card for This, What to Say and Do When Life is Scary, Awful, and Unfair to People You Love, and that very long title kind of sums it up. It's basically a, a guide to how to show up when you are terrified and would rather hide behind a tree, but, um, you really want to support somebody that you love who's totally. going through something hard. And we're not yeah. taught how to be there for people. We are not. No, no, that doesn't come in the human manual. It just, it's, it's hard. And it's really hard. Yeah. And it's counterintuitive sometimes. Absolutely. And, and especially yeah, in the yeah. West, you know, I just moved back from Asia. I talk about talk about it all the time with people. And it's one of those things where there's all of these invisible boundaries, I think, when you're living in a Western country, whether it's like a car, you know, you get in your car, you have your house, you're wearing headphones a lot of the time if you're on public transportation. And there's all these invisible boundaries where even with strangers, we don't see each other. And with friends, we're a little bit more formal, right? We cancel plans a little bit more. We plan things out in the future. You know, it's like, a lot of the time it's it's not hey i'm free are you free it's you know oh we made plans what are you doing in 3 weeks kind of a thing for sure and so it's harder to human in that environment cuz our caveman brains are not built for that right they're like, our caveman brains are like um no but where's the humans i need those yeah. So it's a really, really important work that you do. That's right. You are an author, which is also incredible, super exciting stuff. Um, and empathy cards, they really do say things. For those of you guys who are listening right now, check them out. There's some that are like, there's no good card for this. I'm so sorry. There's some that are like, you're the person that I want, you know, you're the top person I want to sit in bed next to and be on my phone with. So I think they do say things that we just don't have that we don't have words for or that are hard to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had cancer when I was 24. And um, the hardest part about it for me wasn't like baristas calling me sir, or like, you know, losing my hair or like any of those things that you hear about um, as being difficult. The hardest part actually was the loneliness that I felt and the isolation that I felt. And a lot of it was 
came from people not knowing what to say and not knowing what to do and a lot of people kind of shying away and bailing because they were afraid and because they were afraid they were going to say the wrong thing or like they just didn't know how to be around me. Um, and so many get well cards were not helpful. Like right. it's weird to get a get well card that says get well soon if you might not. Like it's like, okay, cool. That's like a challenge. Right. <laughs> like I'm up for it, you know, <laughs> um, or just like cards that are very like, let me just wrap uh, up this chemo real quick. Right. Like, yeah. Like with, you know, with sympathy or that feel like you're already dead, like that are not. And they also don't help the person giving you the card feel like they are doing anything to really connect. And so I felt like there was an opportunity to make things, to make cards that made, that helped people who were sick or grieving or going through something super hard, feel seen and heard and understood and also to and also that gave their friends and family an opportunity to give them something that's that communicated like hey i'm in here with you um yeah. and that's basically all we want yeah. as human beings right we want someone else to say hey you're not alone i'm here human right that is all we want it's it's funny we have the tendency and i have it too to want to problem solve like if someone yes. is sick if someone if someone says like oh I have cancer, um, we tend to go into like oh my god have you tried um, this fruit that only grows in the tropics and it's amazing and you can get it on the internet and like I read about this thing and you should try that or like have you done this or have you looked at this doctor or like we wanna we wanna fix it and we wanna help yeah um, because in all other parts of life that means you're like an effective person right like if you solve a problem at work right. that's where the value is yeah right. um and actually th the way to really to really be helpful and be there for somebody who's going through something is to just be with them and not try to solve it because you can't solve someone's pain and you can't solve someone's grief no. and it. And it's, you know, it's a safe assumption that if, if someone is going through, if they have cancer, that they're up Googling in the middle of the night, like that you don't need to do that right. for them. They know you about know, like, that fruit. They've spent yeah. a lot more time researching <laughs> that thing they have than you have. And the best thing to do is to really just say, even if you don't know what to say, it's fine to say that. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so did empathy cards, were they born out of that experience for you? They were partially born out of that experience. And then they were partially born out of um, an experience I had where my college roommate, one of my best friends from college, had cancer 10 years later when wow. we were 35. Okay. Um, and so they were partially, they were born from both of those things. I had a really meandering path to what I do now. Um, and actually when I when I got sick at 24 and I was 25 when I went into remission and I think I immediately tried to just put it behind me. Like my, my attitude about it was it happened. It's done. I don't need to incorporate this as part of my identity. I don't mm. need to be, I don't need to lead with cancer survivor. I, like I want to just go back to my life. Um, and so I really, it was a really painful time and I really just felt like I want to move forward. And that was how my, my lizard brain decided to deal with it was to just compartmentalize it. And so I'm actually probably the only person in history to ever have cancer and then go into advertising. <laughs> but I started, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot the other way. <laughs> there's, there's a lot, a lot like, the other way. There's the like, right, advertising like, oh my God, mortality, yeah, right? Like, yeah, I'm yeah, out of yeah, here. Yeah. No, I was like, I need health insurance. Yeah, um, totally. And that's a way for me to be creative. And so that Absolutely. was what I did. Um, and so I spent like nine years working at ad agencies and, and that was, a, it was a whole career that I had before I started this company. Wow. And, um, and were you always, a, yeah. were you always drawing and illustrating and writing? Um, I was always, so I was an art director. I was a designer. Um, and I was a, I was a creative writing major in college and an, a studio art minor. They didn't have a design 
program at my school. And so I did like, it was like, you know, fine art minor. Yeah. yeah. Where'd you go? And then uh, McAllister College, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, cool. It's like a small liberal arts school. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Um, And then I got out and worked in sort of marketing related disciplines for a few years. Um, It was like the dot-com boom in San Francisco, the first one. Oh, yeah, totally. When I graduated from college in the late 90s. And so I moved there and started working at an internet magazine startup. And um, yeah, it was a it was a fun time. Um, And then interrupted that for treatment. And then decided to go to school to portfolio school for advertising. And so I, I became an art director. Um, basically because the assignment, (laughs) I'd entered a scholarship contest and there, there was a different assignment for a writer than an art director. And I thought that, and I couldn't decide which I wanted to be. And I thought that the art director assignment for the contest was easier. (laughs) Sometimes it's the most random things, isn't it? It's not thought out. And I think that's something that like, that's something that I really feel like if I could go back and tell 25 year old me something, it would be like some of these things you're not going to yes. have, you know, think, spend months. Everything doesn't have to mean everything. Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> just do what feels like the right thing. And like the next right thing will happen. And so I ended up getting a scholarship to go to school to be an art director. And so then I was an art director. Um, and five years in, I decided that actually, I would way rather be a writer. So I switched um, and became a writer and then became a creative director that way. Um, But I hadn't drawn anything when I started drawing. I started drawing in 2011 Mm -hmm. um, and I had not drawn anything since college. So that had been, you know, I graduated in 1998. So 13 years it had been since I had drawn anything. Um, And I definitely didn't think of myself as an illustrator. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think there's this myth about being creative where people feel like you have to identify your entire human self, right? Like I am an illustrator or I am a writer and people can be many things and do many things. Um, It's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of your work combines both illustration and words so beautifully that it really connects with people in that way. But I mean, you know, it's the same for me when I started drawing cartoons People are, you know, I drew one every day for three years and people were like, oh, I wish I could draw. And I was like, me too. You know, (laughs) it's one of those things where you have to just do it and then, and then it happens. So when you started drawing again, what did that feel like? It felt great. You know, honestly, so what, so I was at a real crossroads with my life. Um, My friend Amy had gotten sick and she actually passed away three months after she was diagnosed. So it was really quick and it was hard. And I was at a place with my career where I felt like this is not, I I had, I had gotten to the place where I thought I wanted to be 10 years earlier. And it was like, Oh, this actually like sucks. This isn't what I want. This, I climbed a ladder that was like leaning against the wrong wall a little bit, you know, and like, I'm looking around now and I'm like, Oh, I'm supposed to be happy. And actually I'm realizing that this is really not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and Amy's illness had really kind of brought back a lot of memories of my own, um, and that time in my life. And it really catalyzed in a lot of ways, a desire in me to do something that felt more personally meaningful. And the problem was that I had no idea what that was going to look like, um, at all. (laughs) And so I quit my job, um, Mm -hmm with no real plan. Um, I had, I was fortunate. I was fortunate in that I could freelance, um, and make, and make money to live on. So it wasn't just like I was quitting with free fall. Right. I was like, quitting. Here's my savings. I, Every time right, I buy like, a coffee, it goes down. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, that was happening too, but I was also, I knew that I could get jobs freelancing in advertising. Um, and just, and in, but in between those jobs, actually have the time for the first time in 10 years to think about like, what do I really want to do? Because that was that career was so demanding. You know, I was giving like 80 hour weeks to agencies for so long. 
that I didn't That's ever. That's a lot. That's a lot. I didn't have a hobby. Like I didn't, you know, like I had no, I really, work was really my priority um, for that whole, that whole time. And so I felt like, I don't even know who I am. You know, like, I don't even know, I don't even know what I want. I don't, I, I need to really, I, I just want some time to figure this out. And I remember like, I think I read some article about like what to do when you don't know what to do with your life. And That's I, great, um, yeah. and it, and one of, and the, one of the pieces of advice was like, think about what you loved to do as a kid and like, do that, go back to that, like start rewind and start at a really basic place. Like, what did you love to do before you had any ideas about what you were supposed to do or how you were supposed to do it? And for me, that was writing stories and drawing. And so I just started to do that at night, you know, after my freelance gig or like in between, in between jobs, I would, I just started writing and I put, and I started drawing and I started drawing little comics actually was kind of the first thing I did. Yeah. And I put them on a blog, like on a Tumblr blog. And it was just my friends, you know, who saw it at that point. It was like, it was like 12 people. Yeah. And people were like, this is really good. Like you should, you should do that. Like you could have a, like you could, you know, and I was like, yeah, maybe like, you know, this is fun. But But I was really looking at it as like, this is fun, like more than more than like, I'm going to monetize this, or I'm going to turn this into a company. I mean, like I, I, the last time I took math was 10th grade, you know, like I'm not a, like, I didn't think of myself as I'm going to go start a a company. Um, It was just like, I'm going to do something that actually brings me joy. And, uh, and then everything kind of came forward from there. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's when you're working in a creative pursuit and it's not, you know, when you're not working in a commercial arena, like it's not advertising or anything like that, where you're really doing something that sets your soul on fire. There's that moment where you create it and it's just for you and you get to kind of keep it in that way. And then when you start to share it with the world, you're like, oh, I never, okay. Like (laughs) that could be a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you started drawing again, was it pen and paper? Was it on a... Yeah, it was just pen and paper. You know, it was just, it was like, it was just pen and paper. It was um, like painting and drawing and, you know, and for the first year or so of the company, I still did everything that way. By hand. Um, by hand. And then it became really clear that I couldn't, um, that... <laughs> That yeah. I needed to do it faster. No, I mean, um, you kind of reached this point where you have to, yeah. like, I, when I started doing one a day, I, you know, I live, I lived abroad, I traveled all over and I was, I was traveling with 30 notebooks of full of cartoons. It was like, oh yeah, this no, has to right? end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you kind of reach this point where you hit critical mass and, and I think for some people that's, they don't hit that or it's different. You know, I've had some people on the podcast who, you know, paint watercolors or who are really into that grounded illustration, but it's different for everyone. But it's so interesting because I think when you start that and when that joy comes out, it is so childlike, you know, sometimes it's with, even with crayons. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And it's interesting because I've kind of come full circle. Like I really, it's, I built something that was successful, that is successful, and that grew very quickly in a very short period of time. And so I'm just actually now reclaiming the joy in it yeah. myself because it started off in this joyful place and then it became... Um, it became what it is. <laughs> it became what it is and it and it was and it was so much work because I was the CEO and I was and I was um also writing everything and illustrating everything and we you know had this m- m- multi-million dollar business and so it um I had 15 people reporting to me at the end of last year and it was just like that's a lot trying to do yeah it was it was unsustainable and I really got to a place where I kind of hit like I was like a shell of a person, you know, yeah, <laughs> like totally. I hit sort of spiritual bottom with it where it was like, okay, you built this thing. It's supposed to be awesome. Like you have people on the internet who are like, your life must be so great. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, when I have a life, it's great. Stress, exactly. But like, it's, 
but it's theoretically great. Um, so it's, it's really interesting and I've, I've kind of come, I've come full circle with it. Um, but it was in the beginning, it was so childlike and it was just so like, this is fun. Like, this Mm. is what gives, this is what is, this is what is fun. Um, and then honestly, like building the company and the, and the, and figuring out like how to bring this to people, how to create something that people wanted that felt like it solved a problem for people or that like filled a gap in the industry. Like that part was really fun and, and problem solving was fun. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, no more problems. Like, cool. I've solved enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm tapping out. Yeah. Someone else come, come do this now. I'm, I'm hitting the button. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So when you started, was it just you? It was just me. Um, it was just me. And I started, I, I opened an Etsy shop in 2012 mm-hmm. and I was selling prints of my illustrations that I was printing myself on like a fancy printer that I bought. Mm-hmm. And then in January of 2013, I made my first card and it was, and I had not, I had wanted to do cards for a long time, but because I was thinking like an artist and not like a business person, I was just thinking like, well, why would I sell something that cost, like, how do you make money selling something that costs $4 when I can sell the same thing for $24 in a slightly bigger size? Like it was like, you know, like right, totally. I was making them myself and, um, and not thinking about like, oh, that's when you have them done at a printer dummy. Um, and so I, I realized like, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm not thinking about this the way that a business person would think about it. And simultaneously, I had an idea for a card that was a Valentine for the person that you're kind of dating, but not really, which at the time, there wasn't anything out there that solved that or that like spoke to that relationship. Yeah, because it's it's a giant elephant in the room. I mean, I'm a single gal. Yeah, if you're going out on a date with someone and it's February, there's like, there's a lot of like, you know, eggshells that you are treading. Totally. And it's like, so you either are like, you either don't get them anything and then that's like maybe weird because you have to like acknowledge it in some way. Right. But then or like I've been in the position in the past where I would get them like a regular card and then be like, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, you know, here's a card. I got you a card. But like, right. Let me just kind of like talk it, talk it down. Right. Like, let's yeah. talk it down. And so the, the card that I ended up making was basically the text of that speech of like talking it down. Yeah. So it's like so it's like you know, it's long and, and, and it, and it says, um, you know, I know we're not like together or anything, but I felt weird to not say anything. So I got you this card. It's not a big deal. It doesn't even have a heart on it. You know, basically it's just a card saying hi. And then in little letters at the bottom, it says, forget it. Um, and I put it in my Etsy store, like at the beginning of February, like, or like, I guess like January 31st. And I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll sell, if I sell, if, if people see this, I know it's going to sell. I don't know if anyone's going to see it, but like if five people see it, those five people are going to be so psyched. Like if, if I can get it in front of five people who need this, they're going to be so stoked. And what ended up happening was that Etsy put it on their Facebook page. And at the time, it was before Facebook changed the algorithm. Wow. So, like, if you followed a brand, you saw all their posts, just like you would see a regular person's posts. Yeah. And so it became, it ended up being their most liked and most shared post of that whole year. Wow. Um, of all of 2013. And I sold, and it went super viral. Like, it was everywhere from, it was on the front page of Reddit. It was on Funny or Die. It was like magazines cosmo and like glamour and like everywhere the viral greeting card in the internet age i love this and that was what started the company so i shipped i ended up printing having printed and shipping 1700 of that card in a week from my house um before i had to cut the shipping off because that's the first lesson of business is like if you're trying to sell a card on the internet for a holiday yep you can't you have to stop shipping it like a week before <laughs> so people can get it and like give it to their person. Yeah. Totally. Um, Holidays so are the had, planning ahead of business versus art. Ahead. Art is like, I, I have a feeling I'm expressing it. 
exactly. And business is like, okay, so when are we going to, when's the ship by date for that feeling? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so I had a week and I sold 1700 of that card one by one from that Etsy store, except for like, there was like a bunch of dudes that ordered like five, <laughs> which I thought was really oh, funny. Oh, that's so great. Um, that's and- classic. Yeah, a classic. And like a couple guys that would send that sent notes. And I remember this, like, I still remember it so clearly being like, I'm buying two in case I screw up the first one. And like, just really cute. And like, people trying to order it from like, South Africa and stuff. And like, how can I get it there? And I was like, dude, just print it out. You know, like, it's a like, I can't ship this to you in South Africa in time. But it's fine. Um, And but I but I came out of that experience with the understanding, like, yeah, there I have something that that is not, that's different than what's out there. And that I feel like I can, um, build on this. And I feel like there is an opportunity here to, to say something different, um, and to speak to a reality that is not really being spoken to in card land. And so I put my head down and I, and I, um, wrote and illustrated 40 cards and I launched my wholesale collection in May. So like three, March, three months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then immediately it was like, it was, it took off right away. Um, and I, I got, had one, my first employee came on board that first week. Um, she wasn't, I, it wasn't even like hiring for the position. It was like, help. <laughs> right. I need, I, a, I need another like set of hands here. Yeah. With envelopes together. And then, and then when it became clear that, um, the company was going to be around for at least another six months, um, I hired her and then she became my, our first full-time employee. And then she became our head of sales and she still is our head of, of sales. Um, and is still, still works for me. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, but it was, it was very, very, very quick. Um, the whole, the whole thing, we moved out of three spaces in two years and wow. warehouse and like it, it, it was, it was really, um, it was, a, it was a crazy ride and it, and, um, just constant reinventing and problem solving and figuring it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and there's, I mean, it's, there's absolutely a niche because I think in the, in the culture of informality, right? People still want acknowledgement. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, you know, I keep, I get asked a lot by like, you know, random publications and like, there's all this, like the whole, like people are always wanting to say like, in an increasingly digital world, like the greeting card industry is dying. Like, you know, it's like people are, there's always these sort of like, yeah, our cards anyway. And actually I think that they're re- I think that they're more relevant than ever, but in a really different way. So like, I think that in earlier generations, they were a social convention. Like it was something that your grandmother sent you at Easter. Totally. And yeah. it was like a vehicle for your check, you know, for your $10. <laughs> a vehicle grandma. for your check. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Or totally. It was, you know, it was like a social grace. Like I am, I'm sending out, I'm sending out. Yeah. Like thank you uh, notes. Same thing. Same Oh, right. Or, or even let, or to, to just mark an occasion, like it's Halloween sent getting a Halloween card, you know, from grandma. Um, and I think now the way that a lot of people are using them are to communicate actually meaningful things because so much of our communication is digital. It, it means less when you get a text or a Facebook message or, you know, a DM or like the 70 million ways that we can stay in touch digitally it's more meaningful when you actually get something in the mail that's not like um a free people catalog you know or like a or like a piece of junk mail or a bill or whatever when you get actual because actual fun mail is is fewer and further between or even when someone even when it's not even mailed and someone just buys it for you and gives it to you it's something that you can keep and hold on to and like put up in your cubicle at work or like have in a drawer and, and keep it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, the sentiments are more meaningful because they're tangible and they're real in this, in this digital world. And I think that at least with things like, like empathy cards, which are for people who are really sick or, or are grieving, like that's the time when you really need a card. Like it's not at Easter, 
or oh, Halloween, yeah. right? Like those are kind of, they're, they're social graces, but they're not really meaningful. And it actually is a really meaningful gesture to hear from someone who loves you when you're going through something shitty. Um, and I think that cards are, I think people are using them for that in a way now um, that, that it has shifted from how they used to. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something I do have to say, there's something tactile about holding something that someone who sent to you held, right? Yes. And seeing their handwriting on it. There's, there's, handwriting. Yeah, there's like this human element. I mean, do you do any, do you do any like writing, free writing, or do you have any um, practices that aren't digital in terms of? Yes. How, what yeah, are those I do. like for you? Yeah. So, um, I write in a journal um, and I just, it's funny because I didn't journal for so long and um, I just started it up again about eight months ago and I write, I write in a journal um, things that have nothing to do with work, you know, just my own stuff, stuff that has nothing to do with work. Is it like free writing? Um, like just free writing. Like, yeah. Um, just free writing. Just like, like Julia working Cameron, out my, artist way kind of thing. Yeah. And also just like working out my shit, you know? Um, and, totally. and so I do that, but I also, when I come up with ideas for cards and products, um, I do everything in a notebook. So like the first step for me, and I still prefer to write lines for cards or write lines for products longhand in a notebook because I like to do little sketches at the same time. Um, I, I'd rather I like to write that way better than I like to write um, sitting in front of a computer. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just, there's something yeah, just like there's like a human thing, right? Where our brains, there's something about screens. When I'm creating, when I'm in that creative flow, if there's a screen in front of my eyes, it like stops the flow. Yeah, it's funny. Like for longer form things and stuff like that, like I can typing typing works for me, but if it's like shorter. There's just nothing that nothing like sitting down with a blank piece of paper and a pen. Yeah. I had a and, writing teacher once yeah. who explained that um, when you write, when you handwrite, it actually accesses a different part of your brain than when you type. Yes. I find that I, that I, I've heard that. And I find that when I take notes, um, like I don't, re I remember things that I write down differently and, yeah. and much than I than I do if I am like typing notes into a computer. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a, like a human tactile thing. Um, and as an artist, right? Like when you're bringing something into the world that wasn't here until you decided to bring it into the world, there's this thing where you kind of have to, you have to stay in that magic, right? Of what do I want to bring, right? How do mm -hmm. I want to create it? And a lot of the time I find the technology impedes that. Yeah, for sure. For Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, I finish it, with illustration too. I mean, I, I finish it all digitally, but I do a sketch. I do sketches of everything first still by hand. Yeah, totally. I mean, same with a lot of my art. It's the same way. It's, there's just some sort of thing about it. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the entrepreneurial side of Emily McDowell studio. Cause you did just, you just transitioned into this women owned yeah. amazing thing. The who's their group. So yes, we tell did. us a little bit about what it's like as an artist having the balance, right? Because I think, you know, I, I love what you said. You have this thing in your Instagram stories where you're talking about how sometimes bigger isn't better. It's just different. Um, yes. And that's so important to remember because so many artists think that once I go big, things will be amazing. And, you know, I have friends across the spectrum and it really, it's not true. There's no, a, there's it's a not different true. quality of life, I think, for each for each creative form and how it represents and the size and the people and all of that. So totally. And culturally, we just get that hammered into our brains, right? That like if something is successful, make it more of it. Make it bigger. Grow it. Like, what are you gonna do with it next? And it's like, or you could just keep it like it is if it's working, you know, and 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 make the work better. Or, you know, make it like <laughs> like there's, we just have this, it's this mentality of like, grow it, make it big and, yeah. um, supersize it, it. And one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I've learned as a creative entrepreneur is that, you know, just because you can, doesn't mean you should in that growing, growing our company. I don't regret 
any of the stuff that we've done. I've learned so much. Um, and I, we're in a really great place now, but, um, your job really changes. And the thing that, you know, you started doing your thing because you loved creating and you loved making the work and being creative. And I got to a point where as CEO of the company, 85% of my time was spent not actually making the work. Um, and the work making the work, which was ironically like what kept the company, what, what made it a company, you know, like what gave us something to sell making the work was what happened at night and on the weekends. Um, and like in between all the other things, but the other things were such pressing needs all the time. Um, because when you make more stuff, then you have to figure out like where to warehouse it and how to ship it and, and how to manufacture it. And then how to manufacture it overseas if you're going to sell wholesale and you can't make a wholesale margin. And and then like how to consolidate your freight forwarding and where in the, in, and the shipment of mugs is lost in the middle of the ocean. And why isn't it here? And like learning about like, it, there's just so many things that, um, that, that are great, but that really take you away from the thing you love in the beginning. And so you have to really think about, do I love the business part? You know, do I love like, because if you don't love business, um, then you should really bake that into your strategy from the beginning. Like, do I need a business partner in this? Or, you know, what's our, what is our kind of, what is the long-term plan? And, and I really didn't have a long-term plan. Um, other than in the beginning, my assumption was, I want to grow this because like, of course, why would I not want to like, that's the American dream, you know? And, um, then by the time I was so deep in it that I started, that I, that I could stop and be like, wait a minute, this actually maybe is not exactly what I want. We were so deep in it that that was, that was what it was, you know? Um, and so one of the things that, um, one of the things that I did um, was this, was this this big shift. So last year, um, I started talking in the middle of the summer with um, my friend Jen Billick, who is the founder of a brand called Knock Knock, which is now our sister brand in the Who's There group. And Knock Knock is um, is stationary, and they're also a publisher. They publish books, and they have been around since 2002, so much longer than my brand and they, their revenue was a lot greater than ours and they just were much more established in terms of their process. And it was like 30, 30 people and just a much more established company. And Jen said, Hey, what if we combine, like she was, she had been sort of witnessing my pain for the last five years And she said, like, what if we joined forces? You know, like, basically, what if we, what if you have, we have this infrastructure that is something that you've been struggling with for years. um, Yeah, because when you start your own business, you're building that from the ground up. That's what people, that's what people don't realize. I mean, when you work, because I've done both, I've worked for other people, I have my own businesses. and, And what people don't quite understand sometimes, or it's hard to translate is that all of those tiny little things that are just, you know, already all the things that are already set up when you walk into another job, if you just get a job, if you are an entrepreneur, you're making all of those decisions and you're starting from scratch and it's exhausting. Yeah. And if, and we were growing, basically we would solve a problem, implement a solution, and then the solution would become outdated in six months. And so it was like this constant cycle of trying to catch up and trying to, you know, we had our, we had, we went from, from warehousing our stuff ourselves in our studio to growing out of that and then having to warehouse it 
um, hiring a company to warehouse it and ship it for us. And then that didn't work because they were terrible. And so we ended up building our own warehouse out of state um, because it was too expensive to do it in Los Angeles and hiring and staffing that and running that. And like, it was, it was just the, the back end, like having the ideas and drawing and, and, you know, writing and doing the creative stuff is the easy part of a business like this. The hard part is the infrastructure and the back end. And so that was something that, um, that Jen and knock knock really had figured out. And so nice. She, yeah, she said, why don't you come and, what, basically, like, Why don't you what would see happen how we if do we, it? Yeah. if we bought you or, you know, you became an equity partner, like we, we joined together, kept the brand separate, you became an equity partner in this joint business. Um, and, you know, our long term plan is to acquire is to is to acquire companies and, and, and grow and, you know, build other instead of instead of thinking we're going to take our brand to be a zillion dollar brand like we're a paper company we're a paper brand like you there's a ceiling on how big it can grow um so we want to our strategy is to is to start um acquiring other companies um and you know i was at the size where i would where i came in basically as an as an equity partner so my so essentially my most of my compensation was in was in joint ownership of this of this joint company so um in January, we combined um, we combined our companies, and we also um, bought a they they but then me joining in bought a um, a third brand that was called Sisters of Los Angeles, which is like really cool glassware and tabletop and kind of slightly higher price point things, um, more design driven. And yeah, I've seen their stuff. It's we, beautiful. Yeah, we yeah. changed the name and the beginning of this of this year to People, Places, and Things. Um, but the stuff is the same stuff, and it's beautiful. And um, so Sarah Stein, their founder, came on board too. And so we have these three. Um, my employees came over, and we have these three um, female-founded brands um, that are now all under one roof. And we are the Who's There Group is is the name of our collective. And the brands are all still separate, but we share resources and we all are experts in different things and are learning from each other. And I now have a much bigger team, which is amazing in that it allows me to like have a life again and, and to really, to make the work better, you know, like, I, I mean, we have a release coming out in January that is, I think the best one we've ever done. I actually had some time to like really focus on the work. Um, and it made me really realize how little I've focused on the work in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and just kind of how it's of course been thoughtful, but like having the luxury of, of time to dedicate to it has been so amazing after having it be just this small element of the job that I was doing for a long time. Absolutely. And apart from creatively in terms of how much time you can dedicate to the work, because I mean, as as a creative, there is the business side of things is stressful, 100%. But apart from from being able to dedicate more time to that creative process, how else has having that like giant weight, you know, being lifted? How has it affected the rest of your life? Oh my God. Well, I have one. Yeah. Um, like I see my husband now. It's really great. Um, I, I took time off. Um, I took a few weeks off in, in May for the first time in a really long time. Um, and I actually went to Bali. Nice. Um, and I'd never been to Bali and it was fantastic and amazing. And all the things that people think about Bali that are all true. And I spent, that time just it was the first time I'd been away without a computer in like since 2011 Wow! and so I really focused on taking care of myself and like thinking about okay how do I want to show up in the world differently and how do I want to show up for myself differently and who who am I? And like, what do I, and reach, and again, looking at that question, just like I did when I started the company for the first time of like, what do I actually want? And 
I came back from that trip in a really different place mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And I have been, I have a meditation practice. I have um, a journaling practice. I shifted the way I, like I I gave up sugar. um, That'll change your life right there. You know, since May. And I like, I've really, I'm coming at things with a different perspective. Um, and spirituality and spiritual study has always been has always been present for me. Or not, I, I can't say always. It actually hasn't always been. It's been for the last ten years or so present for me in in varying degrees. But I've really been um, more focused on it these last few months. And like reading books. <laughs> like I didn't do anything, you know, for so long. It yeah, was just, it was your one thing. Just yeah, this job, you know, and this company and building this thing. And so all of this, the balance that I that I have now um, is I can attribute to this this merger that we went through, really, um, and being able to being able to give give other people parts of my job. Um, that was just too much job for one person. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back in a minute with Emily McDowell. All right, humans, we'll get back to Emily and the rest of the episode in a minute. For now, I want to tell you guys very quickly about Camp Clarity. It's a week for women in Bali created for women to come and learn tools, connect, expand, and level up to the lives that you guys are ready to live. I'm talking full moon circles. I'm talking bathing in sacred water temples. I'm talking mala making, sound healing, sacred water temples. It's going to be an incredible week. We have two dates coming up. February 17th through 23rd, 2019, and April 14th through 20th, 2019. So if you're feeling Bali, if you're feeling that call, and if you're just ready to connect in and expand a little bit more on tools and experiences and workshops to level up as a woman, come check us out. You can register and find out more details at joincampclarity.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. And back to the show. All right, humans, we are back with Emily McDowell, writer, illustrator, founder of Emily McDowell Studio, also an author, which we slipped that in first half. Um, Welcome back, Emily. Thank you. So before the break, we were talking about your journey coming from creating, drawing when you were younger, moving into art direction with an agency in a really formal environment to starting your own, starting your own company and how it blew up. Um, and now you're here and you've joined this amazing group of other women for the who's there, um, group, which is amazing. Who's their group. And you teamed up with Jen, you teamed up with people, places, and things. You're doing some amazing stuff. Um, and so what do we have coming up for you? That is such a good question. Um, because for the first time in a long time, um, I have some choices, <laughs> to make. I mean, I've always had choices, but some, some very, some, some, some choices where I don't know exactly what I'm going to choose. Um, so one of the things that's happening with the brand, um, is that we are in the process of transitioning me into more of a creative director role. So I am about to start working with some other writers and illustrators, um, to start executing some of our products, um, and for me to be more of a creative director, which is, which is actually, it's funny cause that's what, that's what I was. I was a creative director in advertising and that's what I was before, before doing this. Um, and that is going to give me, um, some more time to spend doing other things. And so I've been thinking about, um, doing more speaking. Um, that's something that I really love to do and that I've had to back off on because of time. Um, but I've been booking a lot more stuff for 2019. Um, and when people, there's this thing that happens, right? When people resonate with something that you create, they want to connect with you as a human, right? They want to know more and hear more and connect more with you as a person. 
That is true. Um, and that's something that's been really beautiful about this, um, about this whole ride, um, this whole thing. And so I am, I really am really interested in getting out into the world and talking more to people, talking to the people who support the brand, talking to people, um, who follow us on social media, Mm -hmm. doing some more speaking. Like, I'm not even sure exactly what it's going to look like. I'd like to do another book. Um, I feel another book. Uh, I would read another Emily McDowell book. Um, all of these things are really are really open and kind of on the table now, in a way that um, that they weren't before. So it's really it's a really exciting time for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you speak a lot in your work and through your platforms about social justice. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it's an important thing, right? Equality and representation and diversity are paramount in today's times. Um, But as you've gotten more exposure and as your brand has gotten bigger, how has that affected what you're able to say and how you're able to say it and who you're able to reach? That's such a good question because we have had a lot of people, I've had a lot of questions from other brands, um, people who are afraid to speak out, to use their brand platform, to talk about causes that they think are important, that, that are important to them. Um, and ha- so I've gotten a lot of questions from other brands of like, you know, has this hurt you? Like, how do you, how do you handle people who leave? How do you, ha- you know, how, like, how do you, how do you do this? And honestly, no, I mean, so for me, I really, I feel like, when you have a platform and an audience like, well, okay, let me back up. First of all, um, one of the great things about starting your own thing is that you get to do what you want. <laughs> so yes. the, one of the big, you know, I don't work for an ad agency. And so, you know, along with all of the pain of having your own company, you also have the control of being able to say, you know what, I'm going to post about this thing and some people aren't going to like it. And am I alienating potential customers? Probably yes. Um, and am I choosing that I care more about raising awareness um, about a certain issue or helping certain like people who are feeling marginalized feel more seen and visible? Yep, like that's more important to me than alienating potential customers right now. And so um, I kind of you know I made a choice when I started this, that, um, I was going to use the platform of the company to also not only raise awareness for, but raise money for, um, causes that were important to me, um, to make statements, you know, that were important to me. Um, and that's something that I, that, that is a big part of our identity as a company and that, um, I have zero regrets about. Um, and yeah, like, does it mean that we're not for everyone and that not everyone is going to agree with our political stances and not everyone is going to agree with everything I say? Like, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and I probably could sell more mugs and cards if I was, you know, I don't know, less polarizing, but also at the same time, it's I don't okay. Really care. Like, yeah. And also it's like, okay if the people who don't support women or people who are marginalized don't buy your mugs. That's okay. Right. Like I also feel like I make this I make things for I make things for women. I make you know, like I make I I the people who we are speaking to and for with the work, it resonates for them, you know, and I think that it's just, it's a responsibility and a privilege that I have to be able to reach a, a, you know, larger audience than the average person with the things that I write and the things that I create and being able to use that, kind of use that power for good in whatever way I can um, is really important for me. And I also think that people 
what's what's turned out to be a side effect honestly is that people want to support us and i think i think people i think the people who support us probably end up buying more stuff and having more of an affinity for us because we are willing to speak up and and risk alienating some potential customers um you know the people who are the people who feel represented and feel spoken to by us are that much more excited to support us and to share what we do and to talk about us. And, and, um, so that has been, that has been a, like a beautiful side effect that when I started being more politically outspoken and when I started, you know, and we always kind of have, we always have been, it hasn't just been in the last two years, but although it's certainly, you know, stepped up in the last couple of years, um, I really didn't know what would happen. Like I, you know, in terms of like, say it, like I really, and and it was like, I I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know if like, are we screwing ourselves? Like, I don't know, but um, this is important to me. So let's see. Um, And as it's turned out, we actually haven't been screwing ourselves because people really respect the fact that we are, that we stand up for what we believe in and that we're outspoken, um, as an organization and, and that we make products that, um, have a point of view and, you know, that we're not afraid to say what we think and support communities and populations that we feel need supporting and representation. And, um, you know, that we are just, yeah, that, that we're committed in that way. Um, and, it's something that I really like. It's kind of my favorite thing about what we do, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when people think about corporations and corporate responsibility, you know, they don't they don't think they don't realize that sometimes, you know, if if someone owns their own company, they have the right to stand up for what they believe in. They have the right to, you know, shed light on people and policies and things that are marginalized and un- unjust. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting in today's world, right? Because a lot of the United States, a lot of Western countries, there's very large corporations where people don't feel heard or you're just a number. And I think that, you know, in the age of, you know, the gig economy and being able to start your own business, there's also the, the right that we have to stand up for things that we believe in. And, and when you find people that resonate with your message, right? When you find people that want to stand up for women that want to stand up for people of color, you want to support them. You want to support their business. And you, and instead of, you know, having, you know, two or three people who, you know, maybe one of them would buy your card, but now isn't because you have strong opinions about things that the world should have strong opinions about, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, those two other people who maybe just, you know, casually would have, you know, interacted with your company on a peripheral level are now lifetime customers. Absolutely. So it definitely like adds to the, yeah, I think it adds to the experience and and adds to the community in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. You know, and it's, and it's, and it's true. Like you, it's not, it's not safe it's not like quote unquote, I mean, it's safe. It's not quote unquote safe it's as in brand, like in terms of you your will, brand. Yeah. Right. Like as in, as a, if you're a brand, it's not, you know, it's, it's, you are, you know, you, you, you will get some nasty letters and you will get some, you know, like it's, it's not, the, it's not the smoothest path. Did you guys get um, anything like that? What's that? Oh, we get them all the time and it's fine. You know, like people, people can, people are, <laughs> people can say what they want and that's, we all have the right to do that, you know, and, and, um, we get, you know, we definitely get like unsubscribe, you know, stick to, stick to cards. Like don't, you know, I don't come to you for politics. Like I like your birthday card, you know, whatever. Yeah, but not being able to participate in politics is a privilege. Let's be honest. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yes. 100%. So those people are just, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting how in today's world, whenever we, you know, when you shed light on something, there's always going to be that person that's like, you don't have a right to be here. And you're like, I have every right to be here. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and you make a really good point about, about corporations. I think, you know, one of the things that I love about being, being independent, um, is that we are not, you know, when you are, 
a you know global multinational like basically the bigger you get the riskier you know the more decisions have to be made by committee and the riskier it is to like the, the less tolerance for risk you have as a company um because it affects you know so many x number more people's jobs are on the line and you don't want to risk offending potential customers and you don't and and so one of the things that i really appreciate is 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 our ability to um to be politically active and and be a company that makes things at the same time yeah absolutely and i liked what you said about um you know, in terms of representing your audience and really it being an honor, right? When you create things for people, it is, it is one of those things, you know, I always have this theory that the art we create sometimes is just for us. And sometimes it's for us and the people we know, like when you just started that Tumblr and you posted your illustrations. And sometimes the art we create is for people who we will never meet, who will never know us, but whose lives we changed in some way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's interesting how when we fully say yes to that, you know, sometimes we create things that we're not quite sure what they do. And then some, you know, some people will come up to us maybe, you know, when it, when it debuts or when we launch it or, you know, they'll meet us or encounter us in some way. So on the internet world or in the real world. And it's so interesting. Do you have that a lot? I do. Um, I do actually have that a lot. Like, you know, really like the most rewarding thing about about what I do is the is the messages that we get from people and the stories, the personal stories, and the ways in which people um, connect with the things that I write, and um, you know the 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 personal meaning that um, people take from from our products, um, not just from empathy cards, but from you know love cards and like you know. All, even even gifty things, mugs and and tote bags, and people write us all the time sharing stories of like what this thing means to me, or how my boyfriend and I use this, or my husband and I bought each other the same card um, for like Valentine's Day this it? year, and it was <laughs> yeah without knowing it, and it was this card, you know, like just uh, we just get great stories from people all the time, and. Um, it's just, it's just still like that never gets old. Absolutely. And when you're posting on your Instagram, I've talked to a couple other um, artists who have Instagram as one of their platforms about this. Do you ever, when you're looking at, when you're posting, do you ever feel like a post is right for that moment? Um, like almost intuitively, like, like if you have like two or three that you could post in that moment, do oh. you ever, does that make sense? Yeah. Am I phrasing um, it right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It does. It does. I was just – so, like, yeah. And it's funny. Like, our Instagram – and Instagram is is where I basically – like, and I still do all of our Instagram posts. Um, and then yeah. they get reposted on Facebook. And Instagram is our biggest audience on social media. And um, it is – I have no, like <laughs> – I have no rhyme or reason to our Instagram – like, I don't do hashtags and I don't do like, I don't curate it to make it all look like the same color palette and like, like basically all of the best practices for growing an audience on Instagram. I don't really do any of them. And, um, and you guys are pretty big. You have like 150,000 followers. Yeah. 156, I think now. And I don't, and it's like, I don't, I feel really fortunate to have them and, and really grateful that they're there. And I also have been asked to come and, you know, will you be on this, speak at this conference about growing an Instagram following? And I have to say no, because like, I don't have, I don't have tips and tricks and I wish I did because we would probably have more followers, but I'm, but like, I also really, it's what is fun for me about it is to kind of not have tips and tricks and to just write things that are personally meaningful to me and that I want to share and that I think will be meaningful to other people. And so it's this sort of weird combination of like, I'd show our products, but then I also write long captions and just kind of write about what I'm thinking. And sometimes I will just write stuff in my notebook and take a picture of it and post it. And, um, those are, those are like not, you know, a slightly different, like 
bent than like looking at our products. But I, but it's like, it's funny. It's, 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 if I think about the number of followers that we have or like the number of people that are, that are going to. No, you can't re- think about it. You Like, no, you can't, you can't think about it. Cause you'll just be like, oh my God, like, no, like I have to, you know, I have to, and, and I think what's kind of nice about, about our Instagram is that I, um, like it's thoughtful, but it's not like, it's not like marketing-y, you know what I mean? Like it's not, um, it's, it's not. Well, it feels like it's really your page. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, you kind of get to that point and that's so great about social media, right? Is that so many people can have that insight and, and really personally connect with someone who's personally putting it out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, whether it's like Twitter and celebrities or whether it's Instagram and illustrators, right? And nowadays, you know, we have Mari Andrew, we have, I know, a bunch of, like, I, mm-hmm. I could name a lot of, you know, yeah. like the people who've hit like a million, like Beth draws things, like, uh, you know, a bunch of those, you know, kind of uh, illustrating accounts of you know pretty much mostly women that I follow who mm-hmm. basically say things that we all feel mm-hmm. and uh it's it's interesting how sometimes the things that we feel resonate so strongly with those around us oh for sure yeah yeah and we all just want to see you know we all want there's so much power in seeing your own reality reflected back to you yeah. you know in that representation of like I'm not the only one who thinks this crazy thing or who feels this crazy way or, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the, the largest motivators um, of being human, right? Is to want to, want to feel Brene Brown talks about this all the time, but wanting to feel like you belong, wanting to feel like you're heard, wanting to feel like the things in your head are in someone else's head. And that's reality. Yep. For sure. Beautiful. Well, Emily McDowell, thank you for coming on Stay Wild. Thank you so much. This was so fun. It's been a pleasure. All right, humans, that's today's show. Big thanks to Emily McDowell for coming on and sharing her journey. As usual, if you're liking the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts from. If you're feeling Bali and if you're feeling that call, you can find out more details at joincampclarity.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. So lots of dates there coming up in February and April, and I am so excited to share all that Bali magic with you. Until next time, humans. Stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.